Well, one question that could be asked as we gather together to celebrate the resurrection on this day we call Easter is why did Jesus have to die in the first place? Because after all, God, in His infinite ability to forgive, in the way that He can and He alone can forgive sins, why couldn't He have just said, okay, here's my son, accept him, and your sins are forgiven. And then Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, and as some of us might say, no harm, no foul. No blood had to be shed. But to that I would say, imagine a world where there are no consequences. Imagine a world where nobody pays a price for doing anything wrong. That world, I think, would be chaos. But because there are consequences, we have order. Now, I know that just because we have order doesn't mean that people don't exercise their freedom of choice or their free will for evil from time to time. That's a reality. But by and large, we live in a world where we experience order every day. And that's because of punishment. That's because of consequences for doing something wrong. Order is the opposite of chaos. And so I'd like to think that if my life being laid down could save the life of many, that I'd be willing to do that. I would hope that at least some of you would as well. But the reality is, you or I just aren't good enough for that. The lamb had to be spotless. The lamb had to be blameless. The lamb had to be perfect. The sacrifice had to be without sin. And we, as good as some of you might be, notice I said you and not me, but we are all sinners. On our very best day, on our very best behavior, from sunup until sundown, at some point, we are true to our nature and we are sinners. And so we simply were not good enough to be that sacrifice. And so, the wrath of God was satisfied. Those words that we just sang a moment ago. And those words bother some people. And for some people it's this idea that, wait, Jesus is love and God is wrath and it makes Jesus seem so wonderful and God kind of mean. But we have to understand 
that the wrath isn't toward Jesus. The wrath isn't toward any one of us. The wrath isn't toward humans that were created in the image of God. The wrath, church, is toward sin. Because God, in His perfection, can have no part with sin. And so, if we think of Jesus as loving and merciful as wonderful, then we have to think of God the Father in that same way. Because Jesus is quoted in John as saying, I and the Father are one. It's in that same gospel that he explains that you know the Father because you know me. And so then we gather together to celebrate the aftermath of that sacrifice. In John 20, beginning with verse 1, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running... But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Now, there is a lot going on here. When they arrive at the tomb, the first thing we have to understand is that English doesn't always translate beautifully from Greek. That's just a reality. And anytime you translate a language, there are going to be some barriers to that. Uh, I've discovered that when I go to Honduras. Uh, sometimes uh, we speak in ways that we just don't understand that that another, another culture, another language doesn't have exact words for. And when we look at this word saw, because it said that they, they came into the tomb and they saw. Now there is a, a Greek word, blepi. Kind of a funny sounding word there, but that's, that's the word that means to see. But there's this other word that is translated is that John saw. And it's this word theoreo. And it's translated in English as he saw. But church, please understand there's so much more going on than just he saw something with his eyes. Because that word means to ponder, to theorize. And so he goes into the tomb, 
and sees these strips of linen lying there. Now, some of you have probably done this yourselves. Someone that you cared about dearly has passed and you had to take clothes to the funeral home for them to be for their remains to be dressed into. But in the ancient culture, they didn't they weren't buried in street clothes. They had these special burial garments. And the scripture even tells us there about these strips of linen. Wasn't that long before this that Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb? And when Lazarus emerges from the tomb, Jesus gives these specific instructions. He says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so there are special garments. In other words, somebody that, uh, that, that you know, takes, is going to take a body, they're not going to take the time to undress it. And so John is, is pondering all these things. He's theorizing. He's trying to draw a conclusion as to what he's seeing. Because the idea that someone could be dead and now is no longer dead is just not something they were prepared for. Now, we Monday morning quarterback it and we go back and look and Jesus told them on multiple occasions that I'm going to have to die and be raised from the dead. But of course, they're hearing and not understanding. And so it is not until well after the fact that sitting in a room together, they start connecting the dots and figuring all that out. Wait, I remember one time he said, yeah, and I remember another time he said, and so then they start figuring out exactly what has happened. But in this moment, John... And Peter, two of the people closest to Jesus, of all the people in the region, all the people on the planet, and they are not emotionally prepared for the news that Mary gives them that he is not there. I went to the tomb. The stone's been rolled away. He is not there. It's enough news for them to take off in a full bolt sprint to the tomb. John gets there, he has that moment of hesitation before he goes inside. Peter gets there, running a little slower, and doesn't hesitate because that's Peter. So he goes into the tomb and now they are seeing, they are pondering, they are theorizing what has happened in this place. And so... There are different things that he considers. He considers the fact that the grave clothes are lying there. Now, there again, the word that is translated as lying, which means something that is, is resting there or placed there, it actually means that it is there in an orderly fashion. And so, these clothes, as were, as were described to us, someone took the time to kind of fold them up. Someone comes in and steals a body. It doesn't make sense that they're going to take the time 
to fold the clothes. They're going to take the time to fold the garment that was over Jesus' head. And so we consider that, okay, uh, that they would not take the body, you know, they, they would not take the body naked. That wouldn't make sense. So there have to be some clothes going on here. And uh, why would someone have... Uh, church, I lost my thought. It happens. But, all these different things that he's thinking about, why would any of it make sense? And so, it doesn't. And so, to borrow the quote from the writer Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Because we're told that John saw and believed. Now, some of the apostles, they don't believe until they see the resurrected Jesus. We're told right here that John, looking at an empty tomb, has already formed a belief. A real, bona fide belief that his master, his teacher, his rabbi is alive. There's an old story about a tightrope walker who had walked across a tightrope across a large expanse. And maybe you've seen some of the, uh, the things. That, that this has been on specials on TV and stuff where uh, oh, somebody walks across you know, Niagara Falls on a tightrope or something like that. And as the story goes, it was a tightrope walker who walked across the tightrope and then walked back and then took the time to stand there and eat his lunch. Literally, you know, ate a sandwich standing on a tightrope. And then finished walking across the tightrope again and then grabs a bicycle. And then rides a bicycle, literally, across the tightrope and then gets to the other end, and then grabs a wheelbarrow. And so there he is, pushing a wheelbarrow across this tightrope. And so the audience believes it, because after all, they're witnessing it firsthand. They saw him walk across, they saw him stand there and eat a sandwich, they saw the bicycle, they now see the wheelbarrow. And so then it's announced that he can carry up to 200 pounds in his wheelbarrow. The audience doesn't doubt. They believe. They've seen plenty of evidence. 200 pounds in that wheelbarrow? They don't doubt it for a second that he could push that wheelbarrow with 200 pounds across that tightrope. They believed. They had seen hard evidence. But you know what, church? When they asked for volunteers, 
of people weighing 200 pounds or less. Of which, unfortunately, I would not qualify. Nobody volunteered. Not one person said, okay, yeah, this guys he's the real deal. He's impressive. Saw him eat that turkey club standing right there in the middle of that tightrope. Saw, man, the bicycle. Keeping two wheels on that thing. Boy, that was impressive. Nobody said, yeah, I, yeah, I'll sign me up. I'll do it. Not one person in a crowd of thousands there to witness all of this ability said, yes, I'll do it. And so church, we come here today and I dare say, none of us, dozens of people gathered in the room, none of us have witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And we all have a choice. We can dismiss it all as skeptics. Or we can say, yes, I believe. And church, if we truly believe, if we really believe, it should change how we live. If we truly live like people that believe that someone died for our sins, that they shed their blood for our sins to be forgiven, those moments when we are at our weakest, those moments where we do things, where we say things that as soon as we say them, we wish we could roll them back. Those moments where Yes, we even think things that we shouldn't be thinking towards someone or about someone. That in those moments of weakness, no matter what those might look like for any of us, that Jesus shed His blood so that all of that can be forgiven. And if we truly believe that, It should change how we live. It should change how we treat other people. It should change our priorities in life. It should change our actions. Church family, if we truly believe, if we can say, yeah, I, like John, I haven't seen him, but I believe. Heart, mind, and soul, I believe. Then we're the ones who are willing to get in the wheelbarrow. We're the ones who can say, I haven't even seen all the neat stuff, but I believe. And so I'm willing to put myself there. I'm willing to put my life, my eternal soul on the line for the fact that the resurrection really did happen. Sometime later, Jesus would say 
these words to Thomas after he looks at Jesus, touches his flesh, and says, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And church, that is the blessing that befalls each one of us today. That believe that the resurrection did happen. That believe that He is alive. If you are with us this morning and you have not yet made the declaration that Thomas did, that you have not yet said of Jesus, my Lord and my God, then the waters of, invi- the waters of baptism are available as we offer this invitation. You can change the trajectory of your life for all of eternity. And if you're with us this morning, and there's something you need a body of Christ to pray with you about, we are here for that reason. And the invitation is for that reason as well. Let's stand together and sing. Everyone needs forgiveness, kindness.